Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is The Surge Effect, and I'm your host, Mike Surge. This podcast will be talking about anything and everything. Life in general to current events and past events, and all things about this beautiful and wonderful world that we live in. And this podcast, well, it'll probably have an effect on you. Well, hello once again, and welcome to another episode of The Surge Effect. Uh, last... Uh, UFO segment I did was on um, Roswell. This episode, I'm going to do a little uh, briefing on Rendlesham Forest in England. If you have not heard about this, hopefully you'll get a little bit better understanding of what uh, occurred in Rendlesham Forest. Uh, this uh, incident basically is like the Roswell incident. Very, very similar. They kind of call it the Roswell incident. But uh, anyway, like I said, if you haven't heard about it, I'll uh, shed a little bit more light on it by going through uh, just a brief synopsis of, uh, of what it was about. Okay, so the Reynoldson Forest incident, it was a series of reported sightings and unexplained lights and alleged UFO uh, landing in Reynoldson Forest, England at around 0300 on 26th of December, 1980. The incident is one of the most famous and well-documented UFO cases in the history of British UFO searches. Uh, according to witnesses, accounts of the United States Air Force personnel, they encountered a strange craft that was emitting lights in the forest. Although there have been uh, many explanations for what had happened, including uh, misidentification and military flares, the incident remains shrouded in mystery and continues to be a topic of interest and speculation among UFO enthusiasts. Here's a daily account chronological account of the events surrounding the Rendlesham Forest incident starting from December 26, 1980. So on December 26, 1980, late at night, two United States Air Force officers, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, were on patrol near Rendlesham Forest when they saw strange lights in the sky. They reported the lights to their superiors and were dispatched to investigate. Upon arriving at the forest, the officers claimed to have encountered a strange craft that was emitting lights and they approached it. They reported seeing symbols and writings on the surface and claimed to have physical contact with this craft. On December 26, 1980, the next day, Base Commander Charles Halt and a team of his individuals were dispatched to the Rendlesham Forest to investigate the reported sightings. According to Halt, his account, he and his team members observed strange lights in the sky and encountered a mysterious craft and was emitting beams of light moving through the trees and changing colors. Halt made an audio recording of these events, which has become key aspects of this case for documentation analysis. December 28, 1980 and beyond, the events in Rendlesham Forest were reported to the military authorities and investigation was conducted. Despite extensive investigation and various explanations, the full details of what happened to the Rendlesham Forest remain unknown and disputed. The incident remains one of the most famous and well-documented cases in the United States British ufology. Jim Burroughs is one of the Air Force police officers who were involved in the Rendlesham Forest incident, and he claimed to have encountered this UFO. According to his account, he saw a craft with colored lights in the front that he initially thought was an air, uh, aircraft crash. He described the object as triangular in shape. It admitted bright light. 
he and his colleague approached the craft and reported that they saw symbols and writings on its surface that they could not understand. After the alleged encounter, the UFO encounter, Burroughs reported physical symptoms such as burns and radiation sickness, which have been attributed to the accident. Despite extensive investigation and various explanations, the full details of what happened in Rendlesham Forest remain unknown and disputed. Jim Penniston, he is the United States Air Force officer who was involved in this incident as well. And according to his account, he approached the craft and he claimed to have had physical contact with it. Upon touching its surface and observing symbols and numbers on it, he described the object as being metallic with a smooth surface and admitting a bright light. He reported experiencing missing time and other strange effects during his encounter. Like his colleague John Burroughs, Penniston's claim about the incident have been disputed and remain controversial. Nevertheless, the Reynoldstrom Forest incident has remained one of the most famous and well-documented UFO cases once again in British ufology history. Now there's Charles Halt. He was a deputy base commander of Bent Waters Air Force Base near Rendlesham Forest, England, and he was one of the first individuals to become involved with the Rendlesham Forest case. He is well known for his audio recording which made that he made during this event, and, and he describes his observations of strange lights in the sky in the recording. He, Hall also states that he and his team observed mysterious crafts that was emitting beams of lights moving through the trees and changing colors. He also described the, inter the interference with their equipment and the physical effects that some of his team members experienced. Halt's audio recording and statements about the Renaissance Forest incident have been widely cited and remain a key aspect of the case documentation of analysis. So one of the first pieces of primary evidence to be available to the public was a memorandum. It was written by Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt to the Ministry of Defense, or the MOD, known as the Halt Memo. So this was. And this was made public, publicly available to the United States under the United States Freedom of Information Act back in 1983. This memorandum was dated the 13th of January 1981 under the title Unexplained Lights. The two-week delay between the incident and the report might account for the errors in the dates and times given, but this memo was not classified in any way. So basically, I'm just going to pop up a little quick synopsis of the events and how they occurred, so check this out. The Rendlesham Forest lies between the military bases of Bentwaters and Woodbridge. These were US military bases on British soil. Cold War was still going full force. There was a lot of tension actually in Eastern Europe at the time. The base at RAF Bentwaters where this occurred is widely understood to have nuclear ordnance, still unofficial to this day. They won't admit it, but we all know they've had it. The story begins the day after Christmas, 1980, in the early morning hours, around 3 a.m. The incident starts with strange lights being seen in the forest. And the initial thought is that perhaps some aircraft has crashed and maybe there's a fire. 
John Burroughs, one of two key witnesses, was only 19 years old at the time. He struggled to come to terms with his experience ever since. Based on the assessment from radar and what we were reporting, felt that we should respond off base as far as we could get in, into that area. We went into the forest itself, you know, into the tree line to try to get close to whatever it was. But as they begin to investigate, Penniston and Burroughs soon rule out the crash of any conventional aircraft. It just looked like the forest was lit up, like a Christmas light display. As we were getting closer to it, we had problems with our radios where we weren't able to communicate on base. They didn't hear us, we didn't hear them. There was like a static electricity in the air. And things seemed to slow down and things didn't feel right. And then all of a sudden, whatever it was, was in the forest in front of us. When we got close to it, it was blinding. As Burroughs stays back to cover the sergeant, Penniston moves forward and slowly enters the light. Once inside, he finds something absolutely shocking. It is a landed, structured craft of some sort, triangular in shape, and it appears to have come down in a small clearing. Penniston is an experienced sergeant, trained in aircraft recognition, said subsequently, this was like no aircraft I have ever seen. He's described it many times as kind of a pyramid triangle shape. Penniston, later he said he walked around it, and he said this took place over a 45-minute period. And then what I remember was it went up in the air and then left. If the encounter ended here, it would have likely been written off by the press as bored servicemen working on base during the Christmas holiday, attempting to have some fun. But it's what happens in the next 24 hours that makes the Rendlesham Forest incident the most famous UFO event in British history. That's because on the following evening, Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt and a small team of military investigators head out to examine the site where Penniston and Burroughs had reported seeing the UFO. Now, it was Colonel Holt's custom to take with him a handheld cassette recorder to document his thoughts and observations. For UFO researchers, the Holt tape, never before heard on national television, represents undeniable proof, not only that UFOs exist, that one had actually landed in Rindlesham Forest. Okay, we're now approaching here. what looks like a blasted earth. Up here. Right away, the investigators find evidence of damaged trees. There's a round abrasion on the tree, about uh, three and a half, four inches diameter, three and a half feet off the ground. The team also uses a Geiger counter to check the clearing for radioactivity. We are getting an indication of a heat source coming out of that center spot. Looks like food or some form of energy. What they find are elevated radiation levels in the middle of the clearing. The highest levels of radiation are found in the three indentations where the UFO apparently came down on 
almost like a tripod-like device, three landing struts. The evidence suggests that Lieutenant Colonel Halt and his men are standing on the site of an actual UFO landing site. Then suddenly, another even more shocking development occurs. After they conduct this search and assessment of the radioactivity levels, most spectacularly of all, we hear on tape Colonel Holt and his team encounter the UFO themselves. Lieutenant Colonel Holt's voice becomes noticeably stressed. Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. Is there some type of strange flashing light ahead? It is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There's no doubt about it. This is weird. The taped evidence indicates Halt and his men are witnessing a highly unusual aerial object moving through the forest. The investigators hurry to get a better view. But when they step into a second clearing, yet another UFO suddenly appears in the sky directly above them. This one sends a beam of light down to the ground just in front of them. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. Nearly 40 years later, the British and American government still refuse to admit that the evidence clearly shows that the military not only encountered UFOs in Rendlesham Forest, but were targeted by one. Perhaps their lack of candor is due to the extent of the cover-up that followed. This thing is zigzagging around, performing extraordinary maneuvers. Uh, Holt has said it's almost like the thing is conducting a grid search. These are the most incredible witnesses that you could have. And there are a lot of great details coming out of Rendlesham, but I believe the official explanation was it was the lighthouse. Like these spectacular trained men who know the difference between different types of aircraft and tanks and ammunition, highly trained people don't know what a lighthouse light would look like and would confuse that with craft on the ground. There's no doubt about it. This is weird. In 1994, while working at the UFO desk at the British Ministry of Defense, Nick Pope was finally authorized to conduct an official investigation into the events of the Rendlesham Forest incident. I conducted a cold case review and I checked all the evidence we had in terms of radar and radiation levels. At the end of it, I could tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't some sort of misidentification or hoax or meteors or, or anything like that. But frustratingly, I can't tell you what it was. We never found a definitive explanation. So these players, they have the same story after all these years. They have not changed. They've they've always remained the same. They've always been firm on, on what they've what they've seen. So I'm gonna show you another clip of uh, this is James Penniston. He was at a uh, news conference, and uh, this is what his story is. Have a look.
I'm not sure if it's good morning or good evening or good afternoon here. <laughs> it's 12 o'clock. Uh, my name is James Penniston, uh, United States Air Force retired. In 1980, I was assigned to the largest tactical fighter wing in the Air Force at the time. It was, I was stationed at RAF Woodbridge, Woodbridge England. Uh, I was the senior security officer in charge of that base security. At that time, I held a top secret U.S. and NATO security clearance and was responsible for the protection of the war-making resources for that base. Shortly after midnight on the 26th of December 1980, Staff Sergeant Steffens briefed me that some lights were seen in Rendlesham Forest, just outside the back gate. He informed me that whatever he seen didn't crash. He told me it landed. I discounted that and reported to the control center at the base that we had a possible downed aircraft. I then ordered Airman Kabanzak, A1C Burroughs, to respond with me off-site. When we arrived to the suspected crash site, it quickly became apparent that we were not dealing with a plane crash, or for that matter, anything else we've ever responded to. There was a bright light emanating from an object on the forest floor. As we approached it on foot, a silhouetted triangular craft about nine feet long, six and a half feet high, came into view. The craft was fully intact and sitting in a small clearing just inside the woods. As the three of us got closer to the craft, we started experiencing radio difficulties. I then asked Airman Kabanzak to relay the radio transmissions back to our control center, act as a relay. Burles and I proceeded towards the craft. When we came up on the triangular-shaped craft, there were blue and yellow lights swirling around the exterior as though they were part of the surface. The air around us was electrically charged and we could uh, feel it on our clothes, our skin, and our hair. Nothing, nothing in my training prepared me for what I was witnessing. After 10 minutes without any apparent aggression, I determined the craft was non-hostile to my team and to the base. Following the security protocols, we completed a thorough on-site investigation. This included a full physical examination of the craft, which included photographs and my uh, notebook entries that I had at the time, and relays with the radio through Airman Kabanzak to our control center. Those were required. On one side of the craft, there were symbols that measured three inches high, and they're approximately about two and a half feet long. The feeling I had during the encounter was like no type of aircraft that I've ever seen before. It was in the Jane's Book of Known Aircraft or anything I've seen since. After roughly about 45 minutes, the light from the craft began to intensify. Burles and I then took a defensive position away from the craft as it lifted off the ground without any noise 
or air disturbance. It maneuvered through the trees and shot off at an unbelievable rate of speed. It was gone in a blink of an eye. In my law book that I have right here, I wrote, speed impossible. That night, over 80 Air Force personnel, all trained observers assigned to the 81st Security Police Squadron witnessed the takeoff. <clears throat> the information acquired during that investigation was reported through my military channels. The team and witnesses were told to treat the investigation as top secret, and no further discussion would be allowed. The photographs that we retrieved from the base lab, two rolls of 35 millimeter, of course, were apparently overexposed. Thank you. So that was uh, James Peniston, of course, talking about what he uh, what he had seen that night in 1980. And now here's another clip at that same uh, uh, news event, and this is uh, Colonel Holt, and this is uh, what he explains. Have a look. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Charles I. Holt. In 1991, I retired from the U.S. Air Force as a colonel. I was base commander at two, lar <coughs> excuse, two large military installations, and at my time of my retirement was director of inspections director for the DOD Inspector General. In that capacity, I had inspection oversight of all military services and defense agencies. In 1980, I was the deputy base commander RAF Bentwaters, the largest twin base complex in East Anglia. At the time, this was the largest tactical fighter wing in the Air Force. In late December 1980, I was called upon to investigate a very strange event, an event that was distracting our security police from their primary duties. Early on the morning of 26 December 1980, our police patrolmen discovered strange lights in the forest east of the back gate at RAF Woodbridge. Three patrolmen were dispatched to investigate. They reported a strange craft, triangular in shape, sitting on three legs. The craft was approximately three meters on a side. It had multiple lights. It rapidly maneuvered and quickly disappeared. I was not immediately aware of all the details, only being told of strange lights, and I assumed there was a reasonable explanation for this. Two nights later at the family Christmas party, I was interrupted by the on-duty police commander. He told of strange events and said, it was back. Since my boss had to present awards, I was tasked to go out and investigate. I fully expected to find an explanation. I took two senior patrolmen with me, a disaster preparedness expert and the reporting on-duty police officer. At the site, we found three one-and-a-half-inch indentations, triangular in pattern. Now today I have a plaster cast of one of those three indentations. And as you can see, it's about an inch and a half, maybe two inches deep, and about nine inches across. An interesting point is that the forest floor there was very hard packed sand. In order to make three impressions of this nature, it would have had to been a very heavy object. We discovered mild radiation. 
and evidence of broken branches on the trees. We suddenly observed a very bright red-orange object. It was oval and with a black center. It reminded me of an eye and it appeared to be winking or blinking. It maneuvered horizontally through the trees with an occasional vertical movement. When approached, it receded and silently broke into five white objects. We moved out of the forest and onto a pasture and observed several objects in the sky, multiple objects to the north. They changed shape from elliptical to round. Several other objects were seen to the south. One approached at a very high speed and sent down a strange beam right at our feet. It was different than an ordinary light and it didn't radiate, it was more like a laser beam. Another object sent down beams of light into the weapons storage area. The whole time we had difficulty communicating with the base as all three radio frequencies that we were using kept breaking up. This activity continued for about an hour. During this entire event, I was fortunate to have with me my small pocket recorder. It's a little linear recorder that I carried around the base usually to take notes because I didn't like to write much. So I recorded all the significant events that happened that night. Unfortunately, the tape recorder is no longer functional, but I do have a tape and a good copy of it. I have no idea what we saw that night, but I do know with great certainty it was under intelligent control. I thank you for your attention and will be available for questions after. So whether you believe in UFOs or whether you don't, you have to admit that this is this incident, uh, whether it's a coincidence or whether it's not, or you know whether it was uh, flares or uh, or a uh, people thought it was a uh, a lighthouse in the area. These people, I believe, I believe, are they're kind of grasping at straws because of all the things that have occurred. Basically, all these servicemen, to the tune of about eighty. Plus, plus these uh, military men, all the military men that know about crafts, they know what, what it looks like, they know what we have, they know what other countries have for devices. Now, people might say, oh, what, are they all having some mass hallucination uh, because of this? Um, you know, plus there was nuclear weapons on that base, supposedly. Um, who knows? But, you know, people can try to uh, one off it in any which way they want and say, oh, it was this or it was that. These people were there. Um, they saw something. What it was, no one will ever know but them. And uh, I, it's kind of weird when people try to discredit other people that, and those people weren't even there. So they try to say, oh, it was this or it was that. But it was definitely something. And this is their story. And like I said, with the Halt memo, what he reported. So basically, I've just given you the basic details of this incident, and if you want to investigate it further, you can go ahead and do that. There are other uh, little bit, little tidbits of information that are online that you'll probably find about these two individuals as well as Halt, and, and of course, about this story. Um, like I said, I'm just trying to keep the, a brief synopsis of, of what their story was all about. Um, hey, uh, if you like this about the Renaissance Forest and what it was all about, please leave your comments below. Let me know what you think. And uh, hey, if there's something in the future you'd like me to report on or, or uh, maybe do a little quick story on, just drop me a line at uh, podcast at thesurgeeffect.ca. Um, maybe I can go over it, uh, something that you might be interested in. Okay. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening to today's podcast. 
Um, it was a pleasure putting it on for you. Uh, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Hit that bell as well. It uh, helps with the algorithm on YouTube, as most people know. And it kind of uh, pushes your videos up the chain. And it, it really, really helps me out. I much appreciate it. Um, I'm also found on Rumble. You can find me on Rumble. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. And um, it's all under the Surge Affect. Anyway, like I said, much appreciated. Thanks for listening, everyone. And have yourself a great day. I'm out. Cheers. This episode sponsored by He Shirts, She Shirts. Go to www.heshirtsshirts.ca. Just type in the letters TSA, the surge effect. When you check out, type in TSA for your coupon and receive 10% off your next purchase. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, everybody.